All right. Well, welcome this morning. Let's uh, start with prayer. God, I thank you for your spirit and the opportunity to gather together. I ask that you'd bless this time to our souls that we might grow and thereby become more like you and follow this path that you've laid out for us, this path of um, following Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we might be the first among many brethren. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, we finally made it to Hebrews 13, the last chapter in Hebrews. I've committed to not... Uh, well, I skipped over chapter 11 for the most part, so I intend to go back and drill down. Come on in. I intend to go back and drill down in there. But um, So we're, we're here at, ch- at chapter 13 in, in Hebrews, but it's been a while since we've, since we've uh, gathered around the book here. So let me, uh, let me uh, just remind us kind of what the, the structure of the book is. We've got a better priest, Melchizedek. Melchizedek has a better, uh, is a better priest with a better sacrifice and a better covenant. Uh, Melchizedek is a priest that uh, has no end of life. He's a priest perpetually. He has a better sacrifice, not one that has to be offered daily or continually, but a sacrifice that's offered once for all. And he's got a better covenant. He's got a covenant that is better than the covenant of the law. The law was perfect, but it was insufficient. It didn't really get the job done. It wasn't the law's fault that it didn't get the job done. It was that it was in the wrong place. In the better covenant, the law is written on our hearts. So we got a better priest with a better sacrifice and a better covenant. And we're invited to live that priestly life. We're invited to enter the true temple in the heavens where the veil is the body of Christ. And we're invited to enter that through that veil and receive the sprinkling, not of blood that has to be done continuously, uh, but of the blood of Jesus that cleanses our conscience from dead works so that we can do the works of God. So, uh, come on in. So, we have a better priest with a better sacrifice and a better covenant. And we have a better son. Because this is the king priest. Jesus is the king priest. And we have a better king who's the son. Uh, that God said, you know, today I'm your father. Uh, you're my son. You'll be to me a son. I'll be to you a father. That that uh, uh, granting of royal privilege uh, that Jesus gained because he lived a life of obedience. He did what the Father asked him to. And as such, he paved the way for a better administration and a better world. We're going to see some more about this better world today. So you got a better, better king with a better administration and a better world. And he, his desire is for us to participate with him in that administration. Because that was actually our original purpose. 
We saw in Hebrews 2 that man was made to reign the earth in perfect harmony with creation, perfect harmony with one another, and perfect harmony with God. And that's not what's happening just now. So we don't see that. What we do see is Jesus crowned with glory and honor. That's what we see. And we see Jesus as a as a uh, as an example and as someone who has paved the way for us and we're asked to follow that. So we see in chapter 12 as we as we enter towards this uh, chapter 13 just to set up the context we see that um, we're, we're given this admonition for to be a priest like this better priest, to live as kings reigning and serving the, each other and serving the earth as Jesus did. And we're given a bunch of examples of what not to do, mostly Israel wandering in the wilderness. And we're given an example what to do. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we're given these great heroes of faith, And the other main theme of Hebrews is the word mixed with faith. So we've got a better priest, a better sacrifice, and a better covenant. A better king with a better administration and a better world. And a word mixed with faith. And we've got this example of all these people who lived by faith. And then we're given the ultimate example in chapter 12. He says... um, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross. And I think, Brandon, didn't you point out that author and finisher is like the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end? So he's the writer. And he's the hero of the story. And he's the one that is the culmination of the story. The author and finisher of our faith. He is the one we should look at. He's the ultimate example of who to follow. And what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame. I did a little podcast last week, if you want to pull it up. And I focused on this term, despising the shame. In very short order... um, To despise means to give no value to. And shame is that which the world uses to enforce culture. We stand in line at Walmart instead of just walking up and cutting in because you know everyone will shame you if you don't don't stand in line. That's how we enforce culture. Well, Jesus endured an immense amount of shame and I'm sure it hurt immensely. But compared to what he was really after... He didn't give it much weight. So he endured this cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Why do you sit down at the right hand of the throne of God? Because you are the king. And this reward for his faithfulness is what we are to to seek, is a reward for faithfulness, a kingly reward. And that goes to those who serve. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. The example is you've got the world uh, crashing in on you, and irrespective you say, well, this really is difficult, but I'm going to keep my eye on the goal and finish like Jesus finished. Then he talks about the importance of enduring discipline and chastening. 
It's not fun, but it brings forth righteousness. He tells us that we've got to really uh, use vigor and energy to finish a race like this. Verse 12, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. And then in verse 18, he gives us this wonderful contrast between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And he says, you've not come to the mountain that may be touched, Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion. So Mount Sinai is this little pile of rocks on earth. And Mount Zion is this city in heaven. It was scary enough for the people to come to Mount Sinai and get the word, get the law, the covenant. See God, hear His words. Matter of fact, when they heard His words at Mount Sinai, they said, Please stop talking, we don't want to die. Just tell Moses and he'll tell us. So they got the word, they got, they got the, the law. But no, he says, you've come to Mount Zion the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, the people he wants us to be, the firstborn, the inheritors, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. How do you say that word, Brandon? Teleosa, telia. Perfect. Yeah, telia. Telos. Telos. It's that word we've seen all through here. The, the word that telescope comes from. The word that says that's finished, the completion. The ones that made it. These are the ones up on the, on the stage, the place of honor. To Jesus, the mediator, the priest of the new covenant, the one written in our heart, and the blood of the sprinkling, the better sacrifice. Better than even Abel. Verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. This is the word mixed with faith, one of the themes of the book. We've got the word, Jesus speaks the word, we hear the word, it's a very bad idea not to heed the word. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, Mount Sinai, the law was given, the law was broken, The people suffered the consequences. How much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? See, he's not speaking on earth with a pile of rocks anymore. He's speaking from the heavenly Jerusalem. We don't have a tabernacle that's made out of these pretty cloths and stuff that is in the middle of our little camp anymore. We've got the true tabernacle in heaven where Jesus is mediating as a priest. He's invited us to come in and serve a high priestly function and go into the Holy of Holies. And he's speaking from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. When he spoke from Mount Sinai, it shook the earth. But now he's promised, saying yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of these things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, 
For our God is a consuming fire. You think He wants us to pay attention here? You, you kind of get the, the scene. Our God is a consuming fire. Well, look, at me, look with me, if you would, to Revelation 21.1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The first heaven, the place we are now, the heaven and earth we're in now, is not going to be around forever. It's, it's heading away. Look at first Peter, uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. 2 Peter 3, verse 5. For this they willfully forget. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water. By which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. God spoke the world into existence. And by his word, the world was destroyed in the flood. Verse 7, but the heavens and the earth which are now perfect, preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So this word that we're supposed to listen to, this word made the world. The word destroyed the world in the time of Noah. And that same world, it, word is preserving the world from destruction now. But that same word is going to completely destroy this earth and these heavens and replace it with a brand new one. That's where we're going to live forever, in the new earth. The culmination of human history is when heaven comes to earth and God dwells with us on earth. So... The things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So which part of our outline does that refer to? We're receiving a kingdom. What's he talking about? A better better administration and a better world. That's what we're receiving. And if we overcome... If we endure, if we listen, if we follow the way, same way Jesus does and, and live a life of obedience to the end, then we get this reward of inheriting the kingdom. If we don't, we don't. So we'd be in the new earth because new birth is a gift. It's a gift that God just gives. But this being an inheritor is a reward that's, that's, that's given to those who endure. And the whole book of Hebrews is about living that life so you, we don't lose out on that which matters for all of eternity. What matters for all of eternity is who we become as people and the connections that we have with others and with God. And what God has offered here is this unbelievable opportunity to share in reigning in this kingdom with God. But it comes through serving God. 
And what fear should we have? Well, we should fear that we don't take advantage of this. Let's look back at um, Hebrews chapter 2. We saw this in the setup of the book. Hebrews chapter 2, it says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. This is kind of the theme of the book. The children of Israel heard, and they didn't listen. And they didn't get the inheritance. God still took care of them. They were still his children. They got manna in the wilderness and their clothes didn't wear out. They didn't get to go into the promised land. These great people of faith, Abraham, he saw afar off. And he believed. Because he said, I'm not a citizen of this world, but there's something better for me. And that's the example we should live. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard, lest we drift away. For this word spoken through angels proves steadfast, this old covenant, uh, this New Testament, I'm sorry, Old Testament law, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, which is, if you disobey me, then you're not going to inherit the blessings. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, a deliverance? And then he goes on to tell us the part of the salvation he has particularly in mind is the world is broken and he wants to put it back together. The word mixed with faith. Our God is a consuming fire. Going back to the sort of the introduction to chapter 13 here. Our God is a consuming fire. Um What does the term consuming fire kind of bring to mind to you? What do you think of when you think of the term consuming fire? Destructive. Destructive? Okay, so forest fire, maybe. You've seen a forest fire raging. What can stop a forest fire? They don't really even try to put those things out. They just try to get out in front of it and and remove the fuel so it will burn itself out. Nothing stops a raging, consuming fire. Maybe the sun. You know, the sun is a consuming fire. If you just think about a fire in a fireplace, if you put wood in a fire, what that consuming fire does is it converts the wood into sort of its base elements. What you have left is ash, carbon, and into the air goes the carbon dioxide and the water that made up this wood, this cellulite fiber. A consuming fire. Let's just look at a couple of places this phrase is brought into Hebrews, which you remember these are all Jews that know the Bible here. Let's just look at a couple of passages from Deuteronomy. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 24. Deuteronomy 4, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. When you begin, this is the Deuteronomy's the, the the second giving of the law before they go into the promised land. So this is the instructions to the faithful people that are about to go in and, and do what God's asked them to do. He's giving them a warning. 
When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land that you're about to go in and possess and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God and provoke Him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan and possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And of course, we know this is exactly what happens. Because God is a consuming fire. He judges that which is uh, standing in the way of this restoration of perfect harmony and perfect uh, relationship that He made the world to be. He gives the covenant to the people to live this way. When they don't, they're not doing their function, and He eliminates it. Look a few uh, chapters on to chapter 9. It's a little bit uh, different circumstance here. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 1. Hear, O Israel, you're to cross over the Jordan today and go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, the giants, whom you know and of whom you heard it said, Who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore understand today, the Lord your God is He who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly. God is a consuming fire. He causes things to happen that create destruction and eliminate that which is not according to his plan. So, what we should do is serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Why? There's a new kingdom coming. And our station in that kingdom is completely dependent on what we do now. Our happiness in this world is dependent on what we do now. Our effect in this world is dependent on what we do now. It's all dependent on obedience. So what do we do? So you, you kind of, I hope you get the point that the, <clears throat> the motivative factor to, to now do this list of things has just culminated. Now, for me, when I first came to understand the book of Hebrews, my knees knocked. I mean, I, I, I did not realize what a big deal this life is and how much impact my decisions had on who I become as a person and what happens to me for the long haul. So the first thing I wanted to do is say, okay, so what do I do? And that's what chapter 13 is about. Now I want to know, well, tell me what to do. And here's, a, and here's some practical lists of things to do. It starts in an interesting way. Let brotherly love continue. I, I, I counted a list of approximately 14 different things he's going to tell us here. And the first one is let brotherly love continue. Now, what do you think this is? Agape love or phileo love? Agape love, like the perfect love that that you give in a transactional manner, irrespective of whether you get any benefit, relational benefit from the other person. You just know it's the right thing to do. God will reward you so you act this way anyway. 
Or do you think this is going to be the uh, affection love? That there's a relational component here where I'm giving love and I expect something in return relationally from this other person. Which would you expect it to be? That's what I would expect too. And it's not. This is Philadelphia. Brotherly love. Philadelphia's phileo. Delphia. Delphi. Delphus. Adelphus. Friends. Affection. Brotherly love. And I think what he's saying here is he's been talking to this Hebrew church all, all through this, um, all this book. And I think the admonition here is get connected. Get ingrained with your team. This is, this is a team sport, this whole, this whole endeavor here. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. What did Jesus do? He built a team. Look to, look to uh, these great heroes of the faith in chapter 11. They're your witnesses. They're, they're part of your team. Get, get your relationships with your team right. Okay, These guys... This is, this is who you're going to be serving in the next kingdom with. You're faithful to the end. Part of the reason is going to be because we locked arms together and we made it together. And ultimately, what we're going to do is share an administration like as a team to make the earth a wonderful place to live. I think arguably the reason why the world's going to be so amazing, this new earth, is going to be because God has some people who can rule it in a way that makes it perfect. That's what he's trying to prepare us to do. Get connected with your team. I have been thinking about this agape and and phileo some lately, and I'm starting to think that maybe the emphasis is a little different than what I had thought in the past. Because the agape and phileo are used interchangeably some. They're not really, you know, sort of real technically defined. I'm starting to think that maybe agape is... um, transactional and phileos relational and in both cases we expect something back for us now Paul says this agape love in first chapter first uh, Corinthians 13 that to do any all these great things like being a, even a martyr is not beneficial without love this is not profitable there's an immense profit to Loving someone else that can't pay you anything in return. Where does that profit come? It comes from God. It comes now. It comes later. But it's more transactional. You're not building a relationship with someone that you're investing in and they're not going to return anything but poking you in the eye for it. Which, you know, is a pretty frequent occurrence if you're really going to live this way. But there's this phileo love where... You know, we serve with one another. And when we do things together in church, there ought to be a relational benefit that comes from that. We shouldn't have to use this agape transactional love with each other, really. I mean, I shouldn't have to say, you know, I'm going to love this prickly person, Andy, in spite of his, you know, kind of being a jerk, because I'm going to have... um, I'm going to have rewards. and I shouldn't have to kind of use up my agape, you know, on, on, on Andy. What I should be able to do, and I pick Andy because he's such a nice guy, although it looks intimidating. 
what I should be able to do is, is have interaction with Andy and actually get some benefit and say, man, I really enjoy working with Andy. And he actually ought to fill up my agape tank when I work with Andy. And vice versa. Andy shouldn't have to work with me and say, man, I'm glad I don't have to do that again. You know, the, la- the less I have to talk to that guy, the better. Yeah, because working together in a constructive way where we fill up each other's tank, this is part of the way this works. This is a part of life. We should not be a burden to one another. What we want to do is when we meet together, when we interact together, when we work together, when we mission together, when we, when we do activities together, we want to build each other up. We want to be the kind of person that other people like to see coming because they got some benefit from it. You know, all of us have different gifts. Uh, I will never make people feel good about themselves like Ken does. I just don't have that Yogi Bear, Happy Golden Retriever personality. I mean, it's just that's just not me. Boo boo. <laughs> I just don't have that. That's that's not in me. But there's just other things I can do, you know, that that are more my gifts and be constructive with it. And all of us know how to be a jerk, right? That's a sort of born with that capability. We all have different ways to be jerks. Well, let brotherly love continue. Now, this is actually quite encouraging, don't you think? We've been talking about this cosmic endeavor that we're in, this massive sort of, you know engagement with angels and, and, and Jesus and the kingdom that's to come and all this really high stuff, right? New Jerusalem and God standing there and you, you, get, you start feeling smaller and smaller and smaller and you say, well, how can I do this stuff? I, I'm not Abraham. I, I'm, not, I'm not Samson. I'm not Jesus. I'm not God come to earth. What am I supposed to do? And now he's bringing it back to earth and saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to work with your fellow believers in such a way that they enjoy the, the interaction. Well, we can do that, can't we? I mean, that's, that's bringing it back to where we live. This is something I can do. And what the Bible's telling us here is when we are constructive with one another and we engage as teammates where we're doing life together constructively, we're changing eternity. This is is what God wants us to do, to say, that's who I'm looking for to run my next world. Somebody that's a great teammate. Let brotherly love continue. The second one is quite interesting. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Now, I admit I don't actually understand why he chose these words. Maybe somebody can help me. But uh, I don't know how you can forget to interchange strangers. That, like a stranger comes by and you go to the door and you... He's already a stranger. How can you forget him? I mean, I, I don't really exactly understand the phraseology here. Yeah, what, what is it? I mean, the brotherly love, I mean, another way you could kind of translate that verse one is uh, continue to be friendly. 
continue to be friendly. Yeah, continue to show friendliness, and then like don't forget to show hospitality or entertain strangers. It's the same same thing. Same 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 phileo. So don't forget to be friends with strangers. Okay. Well, why why so don't forget is the idea of uh, keep in mind, make this a priority. What says don't neglect? Yours says no. Don't neglect. Yeah, don't neglect. That makes a lot more sense to me. Don't neglect. I think it's it's kind of a contrast between the first one is brotherly affection, and then verse two is strangers. So it's the same the same attitude, but but to this time to strangers. strangers. Okay, great. Well, maybe so. Uh, by doing so, some have unwittedly entertained angels. Um, you know, I, so this, this again, I'm not sure exactly what's going on here. Um, there, there is a, a verse here that uh, I, uh, I looked at. And it may be you just, you never know when something amazing is going to come out of just being constructive with people. Maybe that's part of what it is. Look at First Peter one twelve. First Peter one verse twelve. Uh, starting ten here of this salvation, and this is. Uh, this is Peter talking. This is his his epistle of the salvation of this salvation. The prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So the angels are sort of trying to understand this thing that we have been given to understand. There's a verse like this uh, in Ephesians. might take a quick look at that. Ephesians chapter... So I think it's chapter 3. Yeah, chapter 3. And let's start in verse 8. It's where the sentence starts. To me, Paul here, whom less than the least of all the saints this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So the church is showing the manifold wisdom of God to the angels. Which is kind of an interesting thought because angels, you know, I've been around a long time. They're in the presence of God. They have full access to God. They've watched God all this time. God's taught them, presumably. And yet, they're coming to look at us to understand God's wisdom. 
So there's something really remarkable about the opportunity we have to know God by faith, to walk by faith, not by sight, to receive the grace of God, and to understand the majesty of His gift. And perhaps part of this um, being be, uh, hospitable, even to strangers, perhaps a part of that is that this is part of the angels coming to understand how, how amazing this is. I, I don't know. I'll tell you the way I've taken this part of the verse is to share my stuff and share my space. Now, we as Americans tend to have a pretty um, low tolerance for uh, closeness in personal space. If you go most other places in the world, if you travel around, one of the uncomfortable things is that people pretty much just hug you everywhere you go. I mean, you, they just stand right next to you. They, this whole idea of being a foot or two apart doesn't, doesn't set with them. Especially in Africa. I was watching one time uh, this uh, little kind of Toyota pickup, you know, one of those Chevy S10 type things, the little guys. That's what there's all over all over Africa. And this guy comes wheeling in, and he had, uh, you know, I guess guys that had hitched a ride with him in the bed of the pickup, and they were all standing up so they could get more in the back. And I counted as they got out. <laughs> Guess how many? Chevy S10. One of those little guys. Twelve. Twelve. Low. <laughs> Twenty-four. Low. Thirty-five. Five in the front, thirty in the back. They were in there like matchsticks. Honest to goodness. The, the, they got there and, and they actually couldn't get out for some time because one guy had to kind of wiggle himself out and get out and that created enough space for three or four other guys around the edge to get out. And then finally there was enough space. Excuse me. Finally there was enough space for everybody to get out. And... You know, to them, they got to ride instead of to walk. It didn't bother them. Americans would never do something like that. There's no telling how long they rode. But, you know, I think what this is telling us is share your space. Now, one of the things we've done as a practical... I try to have practical things to actually employ this stuff in my own life. Because, I mean, I, I really believe this stuff. I, this got my attention. Uh, we host uh, people in our house. We've done it ever since, really, even before our kids left home. And uh, as a matter of fact, Brandon lived in our house for two years. So, and, and uh, that's just one thing we do. There are many other things that you can do. Uh, and I know a lot of you do various things. But that, that's, that's one of the things that we do. Now, Brandon wasn't a stranger for long. Although... He spent most of his time in his cave. He was a lot of fun to have because he would go in there and read for hours and then come out and he would have these most amazing conversations for about 30 minutes. You would just learn immense amounts. And then he was done and he would go back in his cave again. 
So we've gotten a tremendous blessing. Oh, Andy lived with us too. Yeah. Andy was really cool because Andy loves baseball. And so I watched more baseball when uh, Andy lived with us than probably the rest of my life put together. <laughs> and he knows so much about it, he's just kind of commented, Are you an angel? Well, no, not. <laughs> so the third thing is remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Well, at this point in time, they've got a church that is under persecution. And there's, there's people being scattered throughout the whole world for their faith. Uh, there's been people come under uh, immense hostility for their faith. Paul ends up being uh, martyred for his faith, as, as did every other disciple except John, who probably died in prison for his faith. So remember the prisoners as if chained with them. When I saw this one, now I'm, I'm really starting to try to grapple with these things. So I really want to do this stuff. And I said, uh, God, how am I supposed to do this? I mean, uh, we don't have this in America. Well, <laughs> we actually do. I'm actually on the... I was, already, I was already engaged with it and really hadn't even thought about it. But we actually have an increase in hostility toward Christianity that's quite stunning. And I, I'm actually on the board of a group called the Liberty Institute. What they do is defend people who are under attack for their faith. One of our recent cases is um, a school teacher. And he was holding the door open for his kids. And the last one in the line came through and he said, The last shall be first. And the student said, uh, Where does that come from? He said, Well, it's a Bible verse. And the kid said, uh, Well, can you show it to me? So he said, sure. And he, he showed him the verse. And he said, I don't have a Bible. He said, well, you can have mine if you want to. They fired him. And this is just one of many instances where there's a, there's a deliberate attempt to take all Christian practice out of the public square. Inside the church, inside your home, you can do what you want to, but do not bring it out into the street or we will get you. So there's increasingly an opportunity <laughs> to practice this in America, tragically. For me, though, just as I was looking at this and thought, I probably am off the hook for this one, Bob Fu came to town and asked me to help with China Aid Association, which, of course, is speaking for the persecuted church in China. And I took it as kind of a joke that God was uh, having fun with me. Because what am I supposed to say now? You know, how, how can I do this? I want to participate, but I can't. I'm off the hook. And all of a sudden, Bob comes to town. And so, obviously, I took it as a sign and have been engaged with China Aid. There's many other things you can do. There's all kinds of organizations involved with the persecuted church, Voice of the Martyrs. And there's opportunity to pray. There's uh, people that you can support that are engaged in these operations. But remember them as if chained with them is a very vivid image. If you're chained with someone, 
You're, you're experiencing what they experience and you're where they are. So I think this is an admonition not to take, it, take for granted the benefits and freedoms that we have but to uh, be diligent about sharing whatever prosperity we have. In this particular case, it's the prosperity of freedom with those who are not so fortunate. Now, just think about this list so far. These are things nobody can stand in your way of doing. There's nobody that can stop you with any of these. There's nothing in here about being a great preacher. There's nothing in here about um, how many people come to Christ through your testimony. There's nothing in here about witnessing door-to-door and getting a certain number of conversions. There's nothing in here about being a great evangelist or a preacher. There's nothing in here about giving enough money where something's named after you. Uh, There's nothing in here about being famous for your faith. These are all living life on a daily basis in the sphere you're in with the people you're around in a constructive manner. Now, isn't that encouraging? If we do that, we're changing the world. If we do that, we're changing eternity. If we do that... We're qualifying ourselves to be kings and queens in the new administration, the better earth. If we do that, we're serving a priestly function of showing Jesus' way of constructive living to other people. Be constructive with one another. Be constructive with people you don't know. When someone's persecuted, hurt with them. I um, looked up a poem that you've all heard, I'm sure. This is a guy that was uh, in Nazi Germany. He says, In Germany they came first for the communists, and I didn't speak up because I was not a communist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Catholics, and I didn't speak up because I was a Protestant. Then they came for me, and by that time no one was left to speak up. He was a prominent German German anti-Nazi theologian and Lutheran pastor. So, there are ramifications to our life that go well beyond just our little sphere. I think we severely underestimate the impact and influence we have. We tend to look at what the world says is great for our definition of whether what we do matters. But what the message here is, is that when we live life constructively, and when we speak up, And when we remember those who are persecuted, and when we do what we can in our sphere to stand for what's true, then we're following where Jesus wants us to follow.
we're going to continue on them with the lists, but I, I can tell you in advance that we're going to see things that are all things every one of us can endeavor to do. The next one we'll talk about is marriage. Having a constructive marriage is something that changes the world. So, we have a better priest with a better sacrifice and a better covenant, one that's written on our heart. By living that covenant in and around the sphere we actually have, then we're doing what God's asked us to do. Have a better king with a better administration for a better world. We qualify ourselves for that inheritance when we take the law that's written on our heart and actually employ it with the relationships we have. Fellow believers, strangers, co-workers, spouses, family members. And all of this takes place because we have this word that God's given us mixed with faith. If we hear and don't do, then we're missing the opportunity. So next week we'll continue on with our list. God, thank you for visiting us. Thank you for this uh, fantastic word. Uh, It is uh, intimidating to think that the word that we're reading here is the part of the same word that made the earth, has destroyed the earth, will destroy the earth again, and will create a new earth. It's just kind of overwhelming to us small creatures. But God, I pray that we won't give small credibility and and weight to this word. Lord, I pray that we would see the gravity of it and mix it with faith. And in doing so, follow the path that you've blazed and do the things you've asked us to do so we can grow up and become all that you've made us to be. It's hard to do these things, Lord, in spite of the fact that they're doable. I pray that you'd give us your empowering spirit on a daily basis in order to actually pull these things off and continue to grow. In Christ's name, amen.